You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of Lifelight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. What we have today in chapter 17 is Jesus, sort of typical thing, Jesus commands us to do something, and it's something that we listen in and no one's going to disagree, like, oh, that sounds good, we should. But it's one of those things that's easier said than done. You go, whoa, okay, but what do I do? How do I do it? Uh, but when, you, when we study the Word of God together, and we understand, it's not just Jesus saying, do this, and for today, forgive somebody seven times. Um, well, okay, that's easy said, but is it, can it really be done? But in a larger, greater context, Jesus doesn't say it and commands us. He explains how we can do it, that we should do it, and we can do it. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, so let's go ahead, let me go ahead and read. Actually, let's not read. You guys just track along. Let me pray, and we'll just go track along with the verse by verse. We'll do it a little differently today. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you challenge us to do things that are difficult. Um, but you don't just challenge us, you give us understanding and you uh, confirm us and you help us. As we study your word about you calling us to forgive others, um, help us understand that there's deeper character, deeper meaning that we need to receive from it and help us uh, be convicted and help us to be uh, willing to be molded in, your, in the image that you desire us to be and that you give us also understanding and you give us courage to carry on. May the word of my mouth and devo- uh, meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Okay, so if you actually read through that section, verse 1 through 10 in chapter 17, I read this in different commentaries and even a different uh, versions of Bible would say, the topic of it. You know how you open up the Bible and in certain sections they, they have a title for you? And uh, many titles, titles for um, many versions and different Bibles for this is, is say like various sayings of Jesus. Or random sayings of Jesus. Which I think is stupid. Right? Like Luke would go on and just, oh, I don't know what to put on. I'm just going to put together a bunch of random sayings of Jesus and see someone, you know, because I don't know where to put it. Because I don't think that's how it works. And you can kind of see by the beginning of this text that it kind of carries on from where we ended last two chapters. So it's there is a connection from previous two chapters. And Jesus is speaking to disciples, but you can see that he is also looking at Pharisees. So something about today's text has to do with what we know and what we understand as Pharisees to be. So let's go ahead and look at it. Verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples. So he's saying it to his disciples, but others are present. Um, speaking to believers. So, we need to sort of distinguish that when we read the Bible, but also in our usual, in our the way we speak to others. There are things that we say to believers, and there are things we don't say to non-believers. We have to distinguish what we say to believers and what we don't. And today's text strictly applies to believers, the followers of Jesus, because to non-believers... It's nonsense. It really is a nonsense. So keep that in mind. It says, Occasion for stumbling are bound to come. Stumbling here is probably the best translation. And if you have different translations, does anyone have a different words for that in your translation? What verse are we 
Huh? What verse are we on? Verse 1. Some translation might have sin, uh, might have a, a stumbling block. Stumbling is really good translation because we are not talking about sin. It's not, um, this isn't about offense against God. So keep that in mind. When Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, stumbling, is not an offense against God. But it's offense against others. It's failure to do what we're supposed to do or doing what we're supposed, not supposed to do. And Jesus says, occasion for stumbling is bound to come. Basically what he's saying is, we're bound to stumble. That's what he's saying. We're bound to stumble. Uh, some of us, some of you uh, joined uh, Josh and I to go see Dr. Noble on last Monday. And he talked about various things. And one of the things he mentioned, uh, this was about Wesleyan theology and had to do with Christian perfection. And Christian perfection has to do with understanding sin. And he says, intentional rebellion against God no longer exists in the hearts of believers. That's why we are no longer sinful. We're not. Once we follow Jesus, we don't intentionally say, I'm going to rebel against God, I'm going to hate God, I'm going to go against God. We don't do that. We don't. So we're no longer sinful. right? So we got to understand the difference. Because it's not a heart issue for believers. It's about we love God, we follow Jesus, we pursue Jesus. But it's about flesh issue. Our body. We fail even when we don't intend. To fail. So it's a personal sin. So we are still sinner, but we're no longer sinful. So Jesus is talking about us stumbling and stumbling against others that will be tempted and tested and will stumble. And there's no way to avoid it. He says, You're gonna this is gonna happen to you, you're gonna stumble. And there's no way to avoid it. It's not going to monastery doesn't help, going to out to desert all by yourself is not gonna help, you're not gonna avoid it. And remember. Jesus was in the desert when he was tempted. Right? So it's going to happen. Jesus is saying it's going to happen. But it doesn't excuse anyone who tempts others. Because continuing on in verse, uh, verse 1, it says, But woo to anyone by whom they come. What he's saying is stumbling is going to come, but don't be the one who brings it to others. Don't be that guy. And verse 2, he lists, Basically, he says the very severe punishment, having huge rock tied around your neck and you know falling in the ocean, you're basically drowning, right? That's he's saying that there's going to be severe punish, punishment if that happens. And he adds, this will be how it is. The severe punishment will be to those who let little ones stumble, and the little ones we're not really talking about children, but little ones are the ones that Jesus is hanging out with, the outcast. Uh, the lowly, the vulnerable, the weak, that Pharisees are making them to stumble. Um, so we can see that there's a wider, we can see that there's a connection between the previous two chapters. And also, um, we understand that it, what, what Jesus is addressing about. So the question for us when we do this is, do you cause others to stumble? Something for us to reflect on, I think. But it doesn't mean something shallow, like, you know, my good looks is causing others to stumble. <laughs> right? It's not about that, right? Something shallow. Um, it's not about, you know, it's more about allowing, you know, making others stumble intentionally. So, 
like I said, let's think about what Pharisees are doing. Just reflect on what Pharisees are. They're confusing them. They're denying them. They're having them doubt the love of God. Um, and there's also gossiping and they're playing mind games and they're compelling others to be angry and sorrowful. And um, that's what they're causing to do. And that's sometimes we could do that unintentionally, right? Well, intentionally we could be gossiping and making others upset. Or we read in the Paul that he talks about how we can let the younger or newer believers stumble in the way that things we do, right? Someone has, you know, a habit or addiction or something that they're trying to get away from, but you think, oh, I'm cool because I have, you know, good faith, I'm, I'm good. So you cause others to stumble, and Paul talks about that. So unintentionally or intentionally, it's something that we need to reflect on. Do, do I make others, cause others to stumble? And I think we all do. I think, you know, I believe I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. And, and it's mostly important for this for leaders, Christian leaders. And that, that just doesn't mean that Josh and I, someone who are in the pedestal, you know, pastors, but all Christian leaders. Once you are a follower of Jesus, we believe in this community, you are Christian leaders. And this is important for Christian leaders to understand. It's, we got to be cautious about this. So what do we do? Jesus says in verse 3, He says, Be on guard. Be on your guard. And what that means is be alert, attentive, you know, pray, be in the Word, be in the community. Don't just be dumb. Like, oh, did I just do that? I'm sorry. You know, don't be dumb. Or, oh, did that just happen? I didn't know. You know. Be alert. Be awake. Be in the Word so you know. Be prayerful so that the Spirit is with you. Be in the community so they can others can warn you and keep you. Right? And it continues on. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. If another believer sins. So, again, it's going to happen. Right? You and I both. And I think, I do this, offending others, uh, intentionally, unintentionally. And for someone like me, I think I inflict deepest, deeper uh, pain because of who I am, uh, because of my identity. And it's something that leaders really need to be careful and cautious. So he says, first, rebuke. If another believer sins against you, first, rebuke. That means, what does that mean? That means, talk to them, right? Don't talk about them, talk to them, right? Don't be a coward going around, you know, this guy did this to me, or this person did this to me. Don't talk about it, talk to them. Don't send a text or email or Facebook messages about... You know, talk to them, right? Talk to them, maybe not publicly, but privately. Maybe not by yourself, but maybe two persons going together, a witness or someone who can encourage both of you, right? Not to crowd the person, but to encourage, right? So just talk to them, right? Don't fear men. Some of you, we talked about this, fearing men instead of fearing God. You, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to, hurt anybody, you want everyone to like you, you don't want to cause any trouble, you don't want to make things complicated or upset anybody, or you know, you want everyone to just get along and and that's sign of fearing men. Right? Talk to them. And really the whole point of rebuking is loving. You love and because you love you rebuke in order to correct and in order to forgive. Forgiving comes after rebuking. 
And if, especially if you've been sinned against. And secondly, Jesus says, first rebuke, and secondly, if he or she repents, you must forgive. It says you must, as it's, it's not an option. We must forgive. So I'm going to cover two things about this, because there's a repenting and there's forgiving. And I think we need to come to better understanding of what it means to repent. And again, this isn't against God, but this is against each other, right? Offense done to against each other. Repenting and forgiving. And, you know, as of many things, we have understanding about what repenting is. But people more or less have false understanding of what repenting is. So it's good to cover what repenting is not. To cover our first understanding. So, what repentance is not. And you have some of that listed in your uh, sermon notes. It's not about... Repentance is not getting caught. Or confessing. That's not repenting. Right? I did it. Sorry. You know. Oops. You got me. That's not repenting. Right? Or if you're denying or defending or making excuses, that's also not repenting. And some people do that. Well, you know, I got tired. I got drunk. You know, I was really under a lot of stress. You know, people do that. And you see this on like movies. Like movies when there's an affair of husband and wife, you know, with other... Oh, you know, you're on, I was on a business trip. I was stressed, you know, and this was company party and I got drunk, you know. So, that, so it happened, you know. You make excuses. That's not repenting. Right? Good example. Movie Hangover. Right? Excuses. Right? It's, that's not repenting. Um, if you're downplaying or partially confessing, that's also not repenting. Say things like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. You know, you didn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. Or saying like, you know, nobody's perfect. Or say, I tried my best. I was really trying to do my best, but I felt That's not repenting. You're making, you're downplaying what you have done. Or blaming. Oh, it's because she did that. Oh, it's because he did that. Rapist is one of the examples could be and famous for, oh, because she dresses like that, I raped. Or he dresses like that. You know, blaming others. That's not repenting. Or manipulating. Some people do this. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to, you know, say that because if I do that, this person might do this. And that, again, is not repenting. And I think the biggest misunderstanding about repentance is feeling sorry. Feeling sorrow. I feel bad about it. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm, you know, I'm really terribly, you know, feeling bad about this. That's not repenting. You feeling sorrowful about what you have done? It's not repenting. Or grieving about consequences of what you have done is not repenting. I got caught. I went to jail. I'm in jail. Ah, I feel terrible. I'm in jail. Or, you know... Oh, you, I spread the rumor, you pointed me at it, now everyone knows about it, now everyone's hating me. I feel so bad. I feel terrible. That's not repenting, right? That's not repenting. So what is repenting? Repenting, when you repent, you own up to what you have done, but it's the same thing as what we understand repentance toward God. Repenting is loving that person. If you have never loved or loving that person again, it's not just saying, I'm sorry, I did this, I feel terrible. But it's committing that I'm going to love you from this point on. That's repenting, right? That's repenting. So then, what do we do when somebody repents? you got two options, right? When someone comes to you with something that the person has done against you, you got two options when that person repents. 
One is to forgive. Two is to not forgive and be bitter about it. Right? Being bitter is never, ever a good option. So we're called to forgive. Right? And sometimes, even if the person doesn't repent or apologize or anything, we're called to, we're told to repent. I mean, forgive. Not waiting for someone to say apologize and stuff. Just forgive. Uh, verse 4, Jesus says, And if the same person sins against you seven times a day, turns back to you seven times and say, I repent, you must forgive. This doesn't mean, obviously, the limit is seven. Seven means perfect, which means always keep forgiving. Now, when someone has come to you with the same issue and repent seven times, you're thinking, well, is this person genuinely sorry, right? Genuinely repenting. But that's not your problem. The genuine of that, with genuineness of that person's repentance, not your problem. Is this going to change them? It's going to make them a better person? Maybe. But not your problem. Um, and, you know, a person does it again and again, and you see this with children. Children will keep doing things over and over. Um, you grow tired, you get jaded, but still, we are told to forgive without limits. And someone said, uh, someone wrote it, dealing with sinners, those who sin against you, is like dealing with persons who are sick. I mean, you know, you don't hope that doctors go to you like, I've had, it, I've had, I've had enough with you, you've been coming to hospital too many times, I've, you're no longer accepted. Right? Doctors don't do that. Right? Even if it's the same thing. You've been, you know, you've been coming to hospital because you have flu for too many times. I'm not going to, not going to take care of you anymore. Doctors don't do that. Keep forgiving, forgiving and forgiving. So what does it mean to forgive? Again, we're going to do what forgiving is not. Forgiving is not about denying or diminishing sin that is committed against you. And we do that. We say, oh, I forgive you. And in that, you say, oh, you know, it's no big deal. Oh, it's in the past. Oh, I forgot about it. Or, you know, you, someone repents and it's kind of awkward, so you just laugh about it. Ha <laughs> okay, you know, no big deal. That's not, that's not forgiving. That's not forgiving. You shouldn't do that. Or, secondly, ignoring. Pretending like you don't see it. Pretending like it didn't happen to you. Right? Ignoring the sinful nature of that person, saying things like, "Oh, you know, he, you know, he meant good. He's really a good person in the deep inside. You know, he has a good heart. He's a good person." That's not forgiving. That's not how we approach um, ignoring it. Or forgiving is not enabling or approving. Sometimes we do that, letting it happen over and over again. So in that we approve and we enable the person to keep doing it again. One of the good examples for this is abusing. Uh, physical abuse of, say, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband, right? Um, with, you know, beater on, right? And when a wife says, I forgave him, but lets him do it over and over and over again, that's enabling, right? And that's, you know, approving his sin against you. Forgiving is not forgetting about the sin that is committed against us. You say things like, uh, forgive and forget. I think that's foolish. Do you forgive and you forget? No. 
And some people have trouble with that. Say, you know, I forgive you, but I kept remembering, I kept remembering, I kept thinking about it. You know, it's bad, I should forgive you more, better. It's not. It's, that's not how it works. When something's done to you, you don't just forget. And one of the reasons why we say this life on earth is sorrowful, painful, and we mourn is because we don't forget about things that's done. And if something, even though you have forgotten, it keeps coming up. And you grieve over and over. So, forgiving doesn't mean that you forgot about the sin. Forgiving doesn't mean that you establish full reconciliation of relationship to its previous state. That doesn't really happen. We hope for it, but it doesn't. And we shouldn't aim at it. Things like sometimes, you know, when you forgive somebody, it brings you closer. Like, oh, this God has made us closer. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes, it just terminates the relationship. I'll give you a good example. Uh, someone, you know, babysat someone, like, my, you know, and th- that person was your uncle, babysat a daughter, and uncle was, you know, molesting a daughter, right? It happened, it found out, uncle repented, you say, we forgive you, right? That doesn't mean that, oh, no, we can go on as nothing has ever happened, right? In your relationship, a wife or husband cheats on a wife, and you re- repent and you forgive, but that doesn't mean that now your relationship can go back as, as, it, as nothing has happened. Right? You don't drop off your girl, daughter again to your uncle saying, there you go, just like it used to be. You don't, because that's stupid. That's being foolish. Forgiving doesn't mean that you go back to the complete reconciliation of relationship. You can't do that. We can't aim at that, because things are different. But that doesn't mean that you haven't, you haven't forgiven the person. Forgiving doesn't mean objecting or neglecting justice. This is kind of tricky, right? Like, I forgive you, but what about $10,000 you owe me? <laughs> well, you forgave me, so you should forgive my debt too, right? Well, I can't do that, right? I forgive you, but you, took me, you got me in the hospital because of your violence. Justice has to be done. Whether that's in personal level or in law, you know, justice, forgiving doesn't mean that you neglect the justice, and to say, oh, everything's okay now. It doesn't mean that. You can still forgive and pursue justice. Forgiving means be, com- being compassionate, but not weak, not being indifferent, indifferent to evil, but not holding a grudge. That's what it means to forgive. And it, it's tricky, but we need to come to better understanding of what it means to forgive others. So, so, the person repents, you forgive, so what's the result? What do you get for forgiving others? Sometimes reconciliation, right? Sometimes relationship growing closer. Sometimes nothing. Sometimes nothing, right? Does it change them? Do they like you more? Or do you like them more? Or does the person treat you better now? Maybe, maybe not. Again, not your problem. It's not the goal of forgiving, it's trying to make them a better person. Make them to treat you better. Make them change. That's not the goal of it. Forgiving is just forgiving. It doesn't come to result that you desire, because that is not the goal. Then why? What's the point? 
if it's not working in the way that you desire it to be. And it's clearly, looking at today's text, one of the reasons why is because God asks, told us to do. And what we're supposed to do is when we sin, we repent. When we are sinned against, we forgive. You know, we do our part. We extend our hand and say, I forgive you. I want reconciliation. But it takes two people for that to happen. But what we can do is, I extended my hand. I did my part. And it doesn't end there. You take it up to God. God, I did my part. I'm going to get out of the way. I want you to work in the heart of this person so that reconciliation may come. And that's what we do. Not because we have our own agenda or goals. Because it's what God told us to do. Because we are told to do our part. But having said that, you know, it's, it's awfully difficult thing to do, forgiving someone. Especially if you're someone, if you have been offended against, or sinned against, or if you're hurt. And many times, the offense that is done against us, it's not by strangers, but it's those who are close to us. Parents, siblings, relatives, close friends. You know, people are, and some of you experienced this, molested, neglected, abused, you've been deserted, you've been abandoned. You've been casted out, you've been physically harmed, you've been emotionally harmed. Offense has been done to you. And just to say forgive, it's not that hard. I mean, it's not that easy. It's difficult. So how can we do this? How do we forgive? What do we need to have this kind of forgiving heart? Verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. This is what they're saying. Well, you're telling us to do this, so we better um, guess we need more faith. See, apostles think that great faith is needed for forgiveness like that. Do we need more or bigger faith to forgive? And that's an interesting question. Because asking for greater faith is always the prayer, yet it's always the excuse. Oh, my faith wasn't strong enough. Right? So do we really need, is that what we need to pray for? Bigger faith. Maybe ultimately we do want great faith, but it's not like it's a magic trick. right? It's not. So Jesus responds to them in verse 6. He says, if you had a faith the size of mustard seed, you could do this impossible thing. He explained. He gave an example. right? And I really, I always wonder about this verse. So thank you for well, I'm going to study this and find out. I always wonder about this. And here's what Jesus is saying. When he said, if you had faith, he means you do. If you had faith like mustard seed, and you do. And so what he's saying is, he's not saying that, you know, he's not yelling at them for lack of faith. Um, but he's saying, he's affirming, you have faith. You have enough faith. Right? So he, what he's saying is, it's not great faith you need. It's faith in a great God that you need. One of the commentators explained that faith, we, we tend to measure things in our Western society. We tend to measure things from 1 through 10 and large and small. He says, the best way to understand faith is this. It's like a window. Whether you have this big window, whether you have, or have a little peephole, doesn't matter. The, what matters is what you see through it. And what you see through is what matters. Do you see a great God? 
loving God, graceful God, powerful God, or do you see, do you not see that God? It's not how well you see it. If you see it, it's about what you see, the God that you see. It's not a matter of how well you see God, but do you see a great God? Not about how big our faith is, but how big the God of our faith is. So what we need is not increase of faith, but action, active exercise of faith. So if that's not it, then what? What do we need? You look, you look through this text, and everything points to humility. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we talked about a little bit of this last week. So we're moving on. Jesus is carrying on his talk about humility. And you, you know, that's really the secret. You, look, you received the newsletter, and we had X there, and question mark. The secret is humility. Humility connects it all. And it starts from the chapter 15. We are lost, we are found, we are graced by God, we are grateful, and if we are grateful, we have humility. If we have humility, we are able to forgive, and we are able to serve. <clears throat> How do you avoid tempting others to stumble? Humility. You know, how do you repeatedly forgive somebody? Humility. Because in humility, you don't take a higher ground, higher moral ground and say, I forgive you, I'm great, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not doing that. Because you're not lording over them. It says forgiving, Jesus is basically saying, is serving them. Just think about that for a second. When you forgive somebody, you serve them. Because it is from humility. And we read this, we read this every Sunday. And forgive our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Humility is about remembering our sin and God's mercy. That's the real source of humility. So if in doubt, we meditate on the grace of God. Humility is what we need. And it's also with our service. Jesus continues on verse 7. He says, Who among you would say to your slave, Basically he's saying, you never, right? You never say, a slave comes back from working all day out in the field, say, oh, you worked so hard, just rest, go take a shower, I'm going to prepare the dinner for you, and you know, you know, clean up your, the house, and I'm going to do all that for you. You don't do that to a slave, right? You don't. Verse 9, do you think the slave, do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? Obviously no, right? You don't. So all we do for God is as if we are slaves. There's no claim, no rights to rest, no taking turns, earning benefits. We exist for Him, not He for us. But we often do this. How often do you think that, oh, God, I've done all this for you. I gave all this to you. I sacrificed all this for you. Are you going to be enough for me to take care of this problem? Are you going to give me this thing because I've done this? We think that. We think that we deserve benefits, that God owes us something. All genuine service to God is done with gratitude, not to earn anything at all. The Gospel of Luke is about what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to go deeper into that, the character of the follower of Jesus. And really the true mark of follower of Jesus is humility. That's the true mark of follower of Jesus. 
And uh, the best verse is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. If you have a Bible, go look for it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. And it says this, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as, that, as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of, what? A slave. Being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he, what? Humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became slave for us. He humbled himself. So the first part of this verse says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Humility allows us to forgive and serve. And the whole topic of humility is what we're going to get on in next several weeks or several months. And humility is really paradoxical, you know. It's a paradox because you can't say you're humble if you're humble, right? You don't like write a book about how I became humble, how I achieved humility. It's just, it's, it's you know, um, it's oxymoron, right? And you can't tell somebody, you know, I'm pretty humble. It just doesn't work that way. So if you're actually humble, if you have it, you don't know it. Which means, can we really achieve it, right? Can we really achieve it? And Jesus goes through this and teaches us, and it's really interesting. It's really fun that we're going to get into. Um, but it's really crucial for us to know that, and we start with the beginning of the lesson of humility, that it extends to forgiveness and to service. And it's for us to remember, as uh, John, 1 John chapter 4.19 it says, we love because He first loved us. You all know that, right? We love because He first loved, loved us. We also need to remember, we forgive because He first forgave us. That's how we come to forgiveness, to humility. Mm. Last verse of today's text, we're going to close, is verse 10. says, So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, say it together, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what you ought to have done. We're worthless. Because we're only slaves. But, as Dr. Noble says, but, Jesus made us worthy. He invited us to the table. He gave us right to become the children of God. We're no longer slaves we are heirs of God's kingdom. We are brothers and sisters to Jesus. We're sons and daughters of God. But this all starts with humility. Understanding where we come from. The grace of God. And in that we're able to forgive others. We serve. Serve without desiring to earn anything. Serving honestly. But we're also now brothers and sisters to Jesus and children of God. And that's what we're going to celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. Let me pray and we'll break the bread together. Jesus, we confess that 
we struggle with our selfishness, self-centeredness, and we hold grudges. We don't know what to do. Help us realize that it's remembering your grace over our sin, that you first forgave us, so that now we are called to forgive. And because you forgave us, in our grateful heart that we need to be humble, as you have been. Help us, Lord. Help us to receive who you were, that you were, you became a slave and you humbled yourself. So may we attain that mark of true disciple, true follower of Jesus, by the help of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.